This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for this food and thank you for your nourishable life for our body. We thank you for this meal together as a family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, I'm praying for my family right now. We're all sick and we need your healing. God, I pray for this presentation today that may go well. Whatever the outcome is, just have it be your will. All right, God. So I know I'm not really ready for this test, but please help me not to fail it. God, thank you for good friends, for giving me the strength and the friendship that I need. Today's going to be so hard. God, I need your strength. Lord, please help my parents stop fighting. Lord, thank you so much for my grandparents. God, give me the strength to get my family through this. God, I'm so happy. I pray that you would bless our marriage. Now, the the first uh, month of this year, month of January, we shared a series of messages with you that we called um, Ask It. And in those series of messages, we talked with you about asking this most important question about almost every decision you're going to make through the course of this year. And the question is, what is the wisest thing to do? And so I hope that you've been doing that with your life, because if you do that, God will really help you to make wise choices and to do wise things so that at the end of the year, you don't have a lot of regret uh, within your life. Uh, Then in the month of February, we did a series of messages called Fix It, where we were talking about fixing this, um, probably the most important part of our lives, which is relationships. And of course, we could have talked about so many different kinds of relationships, our relationship together, our relationship with God and everything. But we talked in the month of February about our relationship within our family and especially in our marriages, how to fix our relationships as, uh, as husbands and wives. And if you're not a husband or a wife, you probably will be, and so, you know, how to hope you can take those principles and use them uh, for your life in the future. This month, I want to start a little series that I'm going to call Seek It, and it's not so much uh, talking about seeking an it as it is talking about seeking Him. I'm talking about the Lord God Almighty, um, what we also might call prayer, or, and today I want to talk with you about the power of prayer. And don't tune me out because you think, oh, this is going to be a boring subject or, or it'll just be a guilt trip. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think we're going to talk to you about something that is very significant in your life that'll really help you. So pull your notes out for today's message if you'd like to do that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33, I think one of the most significant verses in the Bible, and I think uh, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with this, really get this in your heart. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else, and live righteously, and he will do everything for you that you need. He'll take care of everything in your life. So that is such an incredible verse right there where Jesus is saying, so often we we make all these other things the most important things in our lives, Um, but the most important thing for you to do is to seek it, which is the kingdom of God, Because if you will seek the kingdom of God, everything else in your life will be taken care of properly. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I'll start amening myself if I have to. That's all right. I'm used to doing it. You know, so 
Uh, this is Pentecostal church. You can amen here. We want you to have that freedom to do that, you know. Uh, but, but if that is true, that means all the things that I've been worried about and frustrated with and, and just been tense over and anxious about and everything will be taken care of if I start seeking first the kingdom of God in my life and I make that the priority of my life. Now, I think that this whole subject of seeking the kingdom, seeking God, prayer, whatever you want to call it, is probably one of those areas in our lives that causes a lot of, of guilt. Uh, we feel guilty because most of us know that we ought to pray, and many of us know that we ought to pray daily, that this ought to be a part of our lives, but we don't, uh, we don't pray oftentimes as we ought. And because of that, uh, we begin to feel a sense of guilt in our relationship with God. I should be doing this. I just don't do it. Now, some of you don't do it because you don't know how to pray and you think this is real complicated. And so over this month, we're going to be teaching you how to seek God, how to pray. Because it's not, not just something you feel. It's something that you understand about how God tells us to do that as well. So we're going to be going through that this week and, and helping to encourage you in developing a lifestyle of prayer and communion with God. But others of us, we don't do it just because we don't take the time. Our lives are too complex or we don't feel like we have the time and therefore we don't do it. But again, if we go back to that verse and we, and we, we believe it, that Jesus will give us everything we need if we make his kingdom seeking his kingdom in our lives, the highest priority of our lives, if that is true, th this is something we can't pass on. This is something that we can't give up on. Now, there are two things that I want to tell you about, uh, and, and this is definitively I want to tell you about prayer. Number one is this, prayer works. It works. And, and I can tell you that after uh, uh, after a lot of years of living for the Lord and growing in my own prayer life, I want to tell you that prayer is effective. Prayer is powerful. And because of that, I can also tell you the second thing is true. Satan hates prayer. He doesn't fear Christians who don't pray because Christians who don't pray don't have any power about their life. He doesn't fear religious people. He's scared to death of people that are connected to God. He's scared to death of people who have the power of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's scared to death of people who have communion with the Lord. And so he will do everything he can to try to stop you from praying. Now, if you don't think that Satan is against you praying, just try committing yourself to an extended season of seeking the face of God. And I will guarantee you that a thousand things will come up to distract you and to pull you away from that commitment that you've made to God. And, it, and there'll be legitimate things too. It's not just trivial, or fri uh, frivolous stuff. It'll be legitimate stuff that will come against you. You know, you, you'll, you'll go in to find your, your place of prayer. Have you seen the War Room movie? A lot of you have seen that. And maybe you'll, you'll have this place that's your war room. It's a, it's a, if you haven't seen the movie, it's, it's, a, it's a woman who has, a, has a, uh, a, a marriage that's falling apart. And so she turns one of her closets into a, a place of prayer, 
a closet of prayer, uh, and she calls it her war room because that's where she's doing war against the enemy who's trying to take her husband out and her marriage down, all right? And so it's an incredible movie. If you haven't seen it, I, I encourage you to rent it. But the, what, what I want you to understand is that when you, when you commit yourself to praying like that, inevitably distractions will come your way to try to pull you away from that. So maybe, uh, maybe it's just at the living room couch and all of a sudden the baby starts crying. You know, you, you start praying and you know, five seconds into it, the baby starts crying. Or maybe the, all of a sudden it'll come to your mind, oh, I gotta pay the utility bill, they're gonna turn off my lights, I've gotta get in there and do that and take care of that right away. Or, or, or maybe the phone will ring, you know, or, or, or maybe Facebook will ding. And God knows that's the most important thing in the world. Um, or, or maybe your boss will start expecting you to do more overtime, and so you just say, I don't have the time to pray. Or maybe you'll commit yourself to start praying, and you'll start feeling ill in your stomach or, uh, or something. I don't know. It's, it's just amazing. It's all a distraction, uh, with the, and it's a tactic to get you to sidetrack, to get you to to walk away from what's the most important thing in your life because I want to take you back to that verse. If that is true, seeking the kingdom of God is more important than anything you can do in your life because it's the source of all the miracles that you need. It's the source of God's answer to your life. And and so that's the reason why, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we even said this morning, we did our confession where it says, uh, in that confession, it says, I lay aside every distraction. H- have you noticed how easily your mind is flooded with distractions when you try to commit yourself to prayer? I can be praying with my mouth, and I could be thinking about something else. Any of the rest of you? Uh, I won't ask you to confess, but I'll just confess for me. That's the way it can be. I can start thinking about about. Uh, dinner. <laughs> I think about dinner a lot. I don't know. I, 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 can, uh, I can start thinking about things other than what I'm actually praying about. Now, I have to tell you, I, I love to pray here in the auditorium. I try to get here to the church before anybody else gets here, and I try to have alone time with God and, and really seeking God and so forth. And I leave the lights off on purpose because I don't want to get distracted by anything. But it's amazing how well your eyes adapt to the darkness. And I'll be in here, and I'll be I, I tend to walk when I pray. I'm walking up and down. I'm praying. I'm touching every one of these uh, aisles. You know, one, uh, the, uh, in the, the aisle, I touch every one of the rows, I should say, and it's asking for God to bless whoever's sitting there. I mean, he knows that you're going to sit there on, on a Sunday. I don't know who's going to sit where. He knows who's going to sit where. And God just pour out everything that they need, who, the people that sit in this seat and, and, and so forth. So I tend to walk around. It's, it's amazing how in the darkness I can still get distracted. I can start seeing things that, that um, it, you know, just things that need to be fixed or things that need to be attended to. And, and sometimes there'll be so many of them that I'll say, I've got to run back to my office and make some notes here. Or the whole time I'm praying, I'll be thinking to myself, you can't forget to get that done after you're done praying, you know. <laughs> and then I'll waste all of my praying time because I, I didn't take a note. So now I've learned to take my phone in here and kind of wrote, write myself a note rather than have, uh, have to run back to my office and so forth. So forth. But all these distractions 
They come to us to try to sabotage our commitment to prayer. And not all of these uh, uh, distractions are because uh, Satan has thrown them at us. They're not all caused by Satan. But I will tell you this, he is all too happy to use them to further frustrate our desire to seek God and to be in his presence. He will use it. Now, speaking of distractions, my mind went to a story in the, in the Gospel of Luke. It talks about Jesus and his disciples going to a certain small town, a little village, where two of his close friends lived. Uh, Mary and Martha lived there, and they're showing up, and I don't know if they called on the phone and said, hey, Mary, Martha, we're coming for lunch or for dinner, whatever it was. I don't know how they got the word there, sent somebody ahead, whatever. But they show up, and they're going to stop and stay with Mary and Martha and, and have some lunch with them. And this is what Luke tells us about it in Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman uh, named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. So in other words, Mary was focused on relationship with Jesus, learning from Jesus and everything. But look at verse 40. Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. And so she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? You ever felt that way? Tell her to come and help me. Get her, God. She needs to be out there helping me. And the Lord said to her in verse 41, my dear Martha, you are so worried and upset over all of these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. So the story is these two women are hosting Jesus and his disciples, but one's doing more hosting than the other. And the one doing all the work, Martha, she's getting upset that her sister Mary isn't helping out, and so she goes to the big gun. She says, hey, hey, get her, God. Tell her to get in the kitchen and start helping me because I've got to take care. We've got to get this, this meal taken care of. And so she's real aggravated at her sister. But Jesus says in verse 42, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Isn't that interesting? Let's not pass that by too quickly. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Seek first the kingdom. There's only one thing. So let's be honest. We are concerned with a thousand different things that flood into our minds, and it just, it's not all Satan, but boy, Satan jumps on it, and he tries to distract us. Life, here's what I want you to understand. Life is full of reasons to not be with Jesus. Life will always be full of reasons not to pray, not to come to church, not to be with God's people, not to read your Bible. There will always be a lot of reasons not to do it, always has been, always will be. There will be, always be something to do other than pray, always. So if you're going to wait, until your life gets a little less hectic before you start really committing to prayer or making prayer a priority, guess what? Satan will make sure that your life is never a little less hectic. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm a lot like Martha. What I mean by that is that I am a person who's easily distracted. Now, you can call it ADD if you want. 
And maybe there's some truth to that as well. But if I see something out of place, if I see something that needs done, it catches my attention and it pulls me away from the only one thing. It pulls me away from seek first. I get, I get focused on that thing. And there can be good parts about being that kind of a person, but there can also be bad parts to being that kind of a person, especially as it relates to seeking God. If you have a Martha spirit about you, you can find all the reasons in the world why you don't have time to seek the kingdom of God. And there will always be something that needs your attention, and, and there will always be something that needs to be done. Always. But here's two things that I have learned in my many years of life. Number one, most of the distractions in our lives are not very important. Now we think if we don't answer our phone, the world will cease to revolve. We think that civilization will come crashing down if we don't get this little detail taken care of. We have this in our, we've got to take care of it. It's so important. But the truth of the matter is, there will always be things that need to be done, so you have got to decide what's most important. Do you know what's going to happen the day after you die? The world is still going to be revolving. In other words, what I'm telling you is that while you are very important to God, you're really not all that important to the rest of us. <laughs> well, that sounds harsher than I meant it to be, but, uh, <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? You can work yourself to the bone to get all the details done. You'll never get them all done. There'll always be some more. As soon as you get the list finished, there'll be a new list. And, and here's the deal. When you die, even if you haven't got them all done, life will go on. People will go on. So what I'm saying to you is what seems like the most important thing in the world to you right now may not, in fact, be the most important thing in the world. In fact, Jesus says there's only one thing, just one thing. And you got to know what that one thing is, and it's seeking first the kingdom of God. You're never going to get everything done, not in a whole lifetime, so make sure that you use the moments of your life wisely. That's what I'm saying. Now, our lives are but a moment in time, and then we're off to eternity. That's why Jesus said to Martha in verse 42, there's only one thing that you got to focus on. Now, the problem with Martha is that she got all caught up with the details that Jesus didn't necessarily need or even particularly want. Now, certainly they needed to provide a meal. They got 13 guys there, and how many of you know men can eat? You know, So there's 13 guys. They've been walking, so they're ready for a meal. Okay, So they've, they've got to provide the meal. But what was important, what was really important, was being with Jesus not just providing for Jesus, but being with Jesus, not just working for Jesus, but being with Jesus. Well, for one thing, Jesus wasn't gonna be around that much longer. So Martha needed to take advantage of every opportunity she had. But you know, I was thinking, we are so much like that. We get so caught up in what we do for Christ 
and not what we do with Christ. In the ministry, we have a little phrase that pastors oftentimes, ministers sometimes, get so caught up in the work of the Lord that they forget the Lord of the work. Make sense? And all Christians are like that. The truth is, what we do for Jesus doesn't have much value, and it certainly doesn't have any power if we haven't been with him. So I've said all that to say this. Praying is the single most important and effective thing that you will ever do with your life. The most important. I've got to get my kids under control. Well, you probably do, but you need to spend time with God first and have his spirit influencing them. You'll never pull it off. I gotta get my finances fixed, but you have gotta spend time with God. Then he'll take care of that. Then he'll bring the miracles around that you need in your life. Now, I wanna give you three reasons why I believe that prayer is the single most important thing you'll ever do with your life. Number one, because prayer connects you to God. And that's the power of prayer. It connects us to God. And this is the greatest blessing of prayer. Not what we get God to do for us, but we get, to, we get to know him. It connects us to his presence. It's in prayer that you get to know the heart of the one who created you. God has given prayer as the primary way we develop a growing relationship with him. Now, you hear us talk a lot about a relationship with God in this church. What I want to tell you is that a relationship with God starts by being born again. It, that's how a relationship starts with God. It doesn't start by, by joining a church. A relationship with God starts by being born again. Jesus said in, Mar in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus then went on to say that to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born twice. He was talking to Nicodemus at that time, and some of you know who he was, and, and Nicodemus was a Jewish leader, and he, said, and he was very confused. What do you mean born twice? How in the world can you do that? And so Jesus explained the first birth you've got to experience is natural birth. You must be born if you're going to ever see the kingdom of God, all right, because that's when you start. But number two is a spiritual birth, which happens when you are spiritually born, or what Jesus said, or the term he used here in this particular scripture, being born again. It's also the term we use oftentimes, uh, being saved. Uh, when, when you are saved, when you're born again, you are birthed into a new relationship with God. But this is what I want you to see. That relationship deepens and grows only as you learn to spend time with God. And prayer is, is one of the main ingredients in time spent alone with God that causes our relationship with him to really grow. And this is the main difference, I think, between having a relationship with God and following a religious code or something. Because simply put, all religion is, is mankind trying to work their way to God, not trying to find their way to get to God. That's what religion is. And so we have this in our, in our head. If I do enough good things in my life, I'll get God's attention, and maybe he'll be nice to me. And, and if I do enough good things, then God will owe me, kind of. That's how religious people think. But born-again people understand that it's not about what, what we do as people. It's about what Jesus did. 
It's his work on the cross that makes God knowable. It's his work on the cross that makes God accessible to us. And if we make Jesus the Savior and the Lord of our, of our lives, we are spiritually connected to God and are, uh, and are growing in him as we continue in prayer. So connecting with God starts with prayer, and it, it's oftentimes referred to as a prayer of repentance, Sometimes, something like this, maybe, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me and become the master of my life. But the connection uh, grows in our relationship with God by, by spending time alone with God in prayer. So it starts with prayer, and it grows with prayer, and it continues to, to mature through prayer. So prayer is our connection to God. Secondly, I will tell you that prayer is important because prayer connects us to God's power, not just to God as a person, but to him as, as a powerful being. So when you look at the Gospels, you'll notice that most of the miracles that Jesus performed were in direct response to someone asking him for something, or in other words, prayer. He responded to people praying. Part of prayer is asking God for his help. There's nothing wrong with you seeking God for his help. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now listen to this. Tell God what you need. That's asking God to help you with your situation. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxiety, your fear on him, your cares, because he cares for you. Let me share that same verse with you out of the Phillips translation. I love it. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties, that's your fear, upon Jesus. Why? For you are his personal concern. Wow. And that's telling us that God is so great that he can focus all his attention on you personally. But he can also do it for the person next to you. Now, we can't do that. If you have all of my attention, then nobody else does. But I'm not God. God can do that. He can give all his attention to, to you and your concerns and your needs and still give all of his attention to somebody else and their concern and their needs because he is God. So one of the great benefits of prayer is, is the open door God gives us to come into his presence and to make our requests known to him. But what I, I want you to see is that coming to God with your needs is not like going maybe to a medical doctor or, or to a counselor or something like that because, you know, you may go to the doctor and say, doctor, I've got a pain, and he looks at you and says, there's nothing I can do about that. Maybe you've had that said to you. There's nothing I can do for you. Or you may go to a counselor and they, they, they listen to you and maybe you would come to one of our pastors and we will listen to you and we will pray for you and commit to helping you and encourage you the best we can. But the bottom line is, you can come to me with a serious physical need. I can't heal you. I don't have that power to do that. If I could, I would. But I don't have the power to heal you. I don't have the power to turn your financial situation around. I can't do that. I can pray for you, and prayer matters, but what I'm trying to say this morning is that there's only so much that one human being can do for another human being. There's only so much. There's limits to it. And sometimes we kind of think God's like that too, so if I bring my needs to God, there's only so much that he's going to be willing to do for me. There's only so much that he can do, and, and that is just not true. 
Prayer connects you not only to God as a person, but it connects you to this almighty God who has all power to change any circumstance that you may be faced with today. So if you need forgiveness, if you need healing in your body, Jesus promises, Psalm 103, verse 3, he forgives all of my sins, heals all of my diseases. If you need provision in your, in your life for your family, he promises, Philippians 4, 19, that God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. If you need wisdom, he promises, James 1, 5, ask our glorious God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. If you're having trouble overcoming temptation, he promises you, you 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 10, no temptation has seized upon you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond or above what you, can, what you can bear, endure, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. If you struggle with fear, he promises Psalm 34, 4, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He what? He freed me. He delivered me from all of my fears. And on and on and on we could go about the promises of of God. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, that might be good for some people in this place, but it won't work for me. God won't, won't do that for me. He won't be faithful like that to me. Or maybe God just doesn't do those things anymore. I want to leave you this scripture, Joshua 23, verse 14. Not one word has failed out of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. None of God's promises ever fail. Hallelujah. And you can stand on that and prayer connects you to the power of God now there are two conditions to effective praying they're simple but they're they're important number one you got to pray in Jesus name Jesus said in John 14 14 ask me for anything in my name and I will do it so that means you make him the authority behind your prayer you don't come to God lifting yourself up you don't come to God saying well look at all the good I've done God you got to answer my prayer you know, you owe me. No, you don't. That, that's, that's coming in your own authority if you do that. You come lifting up Jesus because it's because of, of him that God's attention, that God's power are directed towards you in the first place. So you come in thankfulness and you come in humility. I'm coming in Jesus' name, not because I'm worthy, but because he's made me worthy, okay? So I come in his name and based on his promises. I come in thankfulness and humility. The second part to effective praying is you've got, to come with, you've got to pray with boldness. That may sound kind of opposite of humility, but it's not. Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Praying with boldness simply means that your faith is strong and that you have confidence that God will hear you and he will do what he has promised he will do. And let me share with you just how important confidence is. Hebrews 10, 35 goes on to say, So don't throw away this confidence, this confident trust in the Lord, because it brings a great reward with it to your life. So confidence is, is something you've got to have that moves the hand of God. So what I'm saying is that prayer becomes the connection between your need and the power of God to meet that need. That's why prayer is so important. The third benefit of prayer is this. Prayer connects you to God's peace. God has promised peace. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. Now the word stayed means literally 
to remain. You're in peace when you remain, when you're not easily, you know, busted out of, of your trust in God. When you lean, remember the old hymn we used to sing years ago, leaning on the everlasting arms, you know? That's what it means, leaning, to be, fi- to be fixed. It means to rest against. And so sometimes burdens make us very troubled and make us weary. You rest against God. You rest against Jesus. And so what does all of this mean? It means leaning on God and his word and trusting it, his promises, knowing that he's faithful. And the Bible says when you do that, he keeps you in perfect peace. Now let's go back to Philippians chapter 4. It's, we're going to end right here. And I'm going to add verses 4 and 5 to verse 6, which I already gave you. And Paul says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all that you do. In other words, let everyone see the joy that's in you. Some of you say, well, Pastor Jim, I got a lot of joy. Well, you need to let your face know. (laughs) Just a thought. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. So remember, no matter what you're going through, this is only temporary. It's going to be done with pretty soon. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank him for his answers. Years ago, we had a a guy come to preach at our church that we were, we were uh, leading at that particular time. And he, he took these particular verses and he, um, he boiled them down into what I, I, I called it on the piece of paper there. Um, what did I call it? The peace formula. There you are. Um, kind of like a, almost, it, it's going to be given to you almost like a mathematical equation here. But it takes these uh, verses and, and brings them down to these four words. Praise plus poise times prayer equals peace. You know what praise is? Poise is, of course, so praise is acknowledging God for who he is, thanking him for what he's done. Poise is saying, okay, God, what the doctor just said to me has got me scared to death, but with your help, I'm going to move past the fear. What the mortgage company said to me has got me scared to death, but with your help, Lord, I'm going to move past the fear here. Poise. Now I'm going to also pray about it. Time's prayer will give you peace. And when we live like that, something powerful begins to happen within us. One more verse, verse 7 of Philippians 4. If you do this you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. And his peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.